Well, I hope you found your hallelujah. I hope you found the fact that uh, when we live well under the sun, with the risen sun, we have that life of Jesus living in us, living us through us, and it gives us power to face the uncertainties of life. And we've been looking through that as we've walked our way through Ecclesiastes, really back in uh, late January we started, and we've had two parts of this, and we're again trying to figure out what Solomon has to say to us, his personal God-inspired journal, and the way it speaks to our hearts, and it sometimes it seems very negative, but as we peer in, lean in, we find out that it's possible for all of us to find that hallelujah and to live our lives in that place. When we say yes to Christ, when we invite him into our life, when we embrace him, uh, and we start walking with God through Christ, we find ourselves navigating life with that hallelujah. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy to hold on to. There's circumstances, there's things that come into life that, that just kind of want to make it just fall out of our hand. But as we continue to look in that direction, as we lean in instead of lean back, we'll find that that hallelujah of living well under the sun with the risen sun will give us the strength to bear up under life as it unfolds before us. Like I said earlier, we've been going through the series for a while. Uh, I'm going to be touching on some things as we continue to start to wrap things up. It's this week and two more weeks. And if you want to go back and check some of the things out, sometimes I'll refer to past messages. Uh, you can find all that uh, information right there. So this morning, as we start to look at chapter 11, uh, I want us to look at the verse that's in the middle of chapter 11, just to kind of set the tone uh, for what Solomon is going to, to say to us in the sense of holding on to that hallelujah and holding on to the fact that we can live well under the sun with the risen sun. He writes, if a person lives many years, he should learn to enjoy each and every one. And if you remember, Solomon had it all, lived it all, and he really wrestled with enjoying life. Uh, it seemed like things were going well. We have the book of Proverbs that he wrote. We have the Song of Solomon, which talks about him uh, discovering love and all that goes along with that. And now we're in his later years, and he writes this, and the inference is this, is that it's possible to live a long life and not enjoy life. What a shame. What, what a sadness. And he's not saying this to just the people that live charm life. If you have a charm life and everything seems to go your way or we're looking at somebody else's life, yeah, they can enjoy. No, he's saying that all of us can be in this place where we enjoy the ebbs and flows of life. And as he says this, there's also, of course, this, this word, but. In the second part of this verse, he says, but he should not forget, we should not forget that dark days ahead, for there'll be plenty of them, and that is to come, whether bright days or dark days is fleeting. And what he's saying is this time under the sun is a short time. 
And there are good days and bad days, and we've talked about the injustice of living in a broken world in past messages. So there are, there are days that are bright, there are moments that are bright, and then there are moments that are dark. And as it all comes together, how you interact with that, how you really live under the sun in connection with the risen sun is key because it's all fleeting. Even if you have a life full of good days, your relationship with the sun is of utmost importance. If you have a life full of dark days, it's your relationship with the sun. So when the next chapter of life comes, you're with him, and all of this is kind of uh, put into perspective. And he talks a lot about that, this idea of fleeting, this idea of meaningless, this idea of vapor, cloud, whatever you want to call it. We've talked through the series that those are the kinds of things sometimes that we think are our hallelujah. We've all been there, even those of us who are Christ followers. We, we realize that Christ is important to us. He's the center of our life, but uh, we start to lean on other things. Other things in our life prop us up, whether it's our health, uh, whether it's our job, whether it's our relationships, whether it's our marriage, our kids, it just goes on. And we start to lean too much into those things, and then we find that those things are fluid. And if we put all the weight of our life in those other things, we find that it's like a, a cloud. It looks like it has substance. Well, when you're flying and you start to fly down through the clouds, it does not stop a plane. It does not hold you up. So he's trying to get us to think all these things. And again, Solomon had all the toys, everything he wanted. He was king. And he's coming to the end of his life and saying, I've had it all, but those things were fleeting. They were Vapor, they were meaningless. Uh, vanity is another word he uses, and they won't hold life up. So, so how do we face life? How do we continue to try to hold on to our hallelujah? How do we lean into that? When, when, when there's crazy times in life, when there's stressful times in life, how do, how do, we, how do we lean in rather than lean back? How, how do we, in a sense, accept and embrace may sound like too strong of a word. Embrace the good days, yes, but also be able to embrace the bad days and be able to navigate stress, navigate anxiety, navigate those things. Well, one of my favorite videos, and I think I've shown it to you before, is the optimism that these uh, guys have. There is youthful enthusiasm. There is anticipation. You couldn't get me to go down that slide. I would be screaming the whole way, it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt. I wouldn't have leaned in. I would have leaned back. I, you couldn't get me to do that. Now, some of you are going, did that really happen? Is that real? Well, you can go on your own. Not right now. You can go search and find that out. I know the details, but I'm not going to share with them right now. But anyway, but they, but they leaned into it. Uh, there, it didn't seem like the anxiety of what they're about to do stopped them from doing it. Now, that doesn't mean they weren't aware. 
It doesn't mean they weren't concerned, but anxiety did not eclipse life in that moment. And really, as we're looking at what Solomon is going to say in chapter 11, we really have this, this, these two thoughts in, in our mind, this idea of anxiety or anticipation. Anxiety or anticipation. You and I can be navigating even those bright days, because sometimes we're afraid when we're experiencing a bright day that someone's going to take it from us. It's not going to last. It's going to get dark. The sun's going to set, and now we're back in darkness. And so there's even anxiety that can be true in our lives when good things are happening. Or there's the anxiety when all of a sudden the bottom of something is falling out in our life. Or, and this may seem too over the top, this may not seem believable, but I think instead of having anxiety, it takes presence of mind, it takes trust, it takes faith, that even when the bottom of life comes out, it may not be that you enjoy it, but there can be a sense of anticipation. And the anticipation can be to see what God is actually going to do in your life. That doesn't come naturally to me. I don't think it comes naturally to you. But I've been thinking about this all week, and I keep asking myself, when, when something isn't going the way I want it to go, am I all anxious? Not, not, I should be concerned, I should be aware. But I'm all anxious, almost paralyzed? Or do I anticipate that I serve, I follow a good God, and so I can anticipate that something's going to happen in this where he's not going to leave me high and dry. I have, to th I have to own on to that. I have to go, wait a minute, anxiety over here, concern, awareness, yes, I need to be aware. But I'm going to anticipate how God is going to show up somehow in me, through me, peace, I don't know, some way he's going to show up. And when he shows up, I'm anticipating to see him do something in the dark days, not just the good, bright days. And I found, when I have the presence of mind, we would say maybe even the presence of the Spirit, and I listen, that I all of a sudden can switch from paralyzing anxiety to anticipation. I may not like it. I may not be happy about it. I may, you know, kind of go kicking and screaming a little bit, but I have an anticipation because I know God somehow is going to show up. And I don't think this is a lesson you learn just when you're a new Christ follower, when you're trying to figure out who God is. I think this is a decision, something you lean in for your whole life. So, for example, last uh, week, uh, a friend of mine, Reuben, he's preached here once or twice. Um, last uh, Friday, Saturday, he wasn't feeling really good. And uh, he comes down uh, with the fact that his, his whole side was aching, and he finally goes in, and uh, after a million tests in the hospital overnight, he's got to preach on Sunday, but all this is transpiring, that he, he has something called um, Bell's Palsy. And it's affected the whole one side of his face. And this is the guy who uses his face, uses his mouth to, to earn his living. And so even right now, as we're sitting here, he's getting ready to try to speak. And he said, you know, the longer I go, 
the more mumbled my words get. So I, I didn't say it this way to him, but when I prayed with him this morning, I called him and said, hey, let's, we usually text back on Sunday mornings, but I said, let's, let's pray together. So around 8.15 or so, we're, we're praying, and, uh, you know, and I'm praying these ideas, not this way. Because you know, when you're in the middle of this, right in the beginning of it, yeah, you don't just say, hey, just don't have anxiety, have anticipation. That, you know, that, that's not the way you navigate these things. So please don't go find your friend that's really struggling right now. Say, hey, God, guess, you know, it, it takes time, just like it takes time in your heart and my heart, right? So, you know, praying that, you know, how is God going to use this? You know, he's my age in his mid-50s, you know, and his thinking, he's got, you know, th- this, this is huge. This is huge. But as I'm thinking and praying, I'm going, how is God going to show up in his life? How is God going to show up in the life of that church? What's going to happen? So not with joyful anticipation, but anticipation that God is big, God is power, God doesn't walk out on us. I actually believe that no matter what I faced that he doesn't do that. I may have to convince myself, remind myself that, that, I, that I can face the hard times with not anxiety, but anticipation. And not every time, maybe a few times, when the going gets really rough and I have that idea of anticipation and he does show up, it actually is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And all of us who followed Christ for a little while can probably go back in our memory banks. Maybe it was a friend. Hopefully you've experienced this. And life stunk. And all of a sudden, God shows up and does something, just something surprising. He changes you, maybe. Maybe that's all that needed to be done, but he changes you. He does something. So instead of having a paralyzing anxiety, again, I keep wanting to say this, it doesn't mean you stick your head in the sand, it doesn't mean you don't have concern, it doesn't mean you're not aware. You, you, you are those things. But you let anticipation rule the day. And sometimes it's rule the minute. It's gone coming back and forth. Said another way, we can say it this way. When your faith in Jesus overwhelms your fear... Fear loses its grip. It, it, it's not, it's not, it doesn't just, it doesn't disappear. It's there, but it doesn't have you by the throat. It doesn't hold on to you. It, it, when you have your faith in Jesus and you let that faith just overwhelm your fear, whatever that fear may be, fear starts to loosen its grip around your throat. We're going to see that as we look in chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you want a paper Bible and you don't have one, there are paper Bibles around you. That's going to be page 466. Uh, you can take that Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. We think it's important that you have a Bible. Uh, most of the verses are going to be up on the screen. And again, um, really think it's good for you to uh, download the U version if you don't have a Bible app on your phone or your tablet or whatever. You can get one of those uh, for free. It's a free app, so uh, take advantage of that. So Ecclesiastes 1, 11 and following. First thing we're going to see is don't permit fear to limit your engagement in life. Don't permit fear to limit your engagement in life. You know, we get hurt. We're afraid of something. 
and, and fear can start to hold us back. We just want to hunker down. We just want to be by ourselves. And, and part of that is a part of the process. And every situation is different. But there ought to be a movement where it does not limit your rest of your life engagement. All of us have met people that have, that have had the bottom drop off in the life and they've just imploded. Uh, maybe you can't even see it that much on the outside, but it's internal. It's inside. It's the, they, it's just, they just don't want to get hurt again. They pull in. Uh, they're like a, a turtle pulling all you know the legs in and the head, all that stuff in. They're just like hunkering down, and that's the way they're going to they're gonna function the rest of their life. They, they can't get out there. Um, some of us uh, remember the first time we fell on our bike. And, you know, the little adage is, you know, uh, you know you got to get back up on the bike and ride. And some of us who waited longer, it, it got harder and harder to get back on the bike. Some of us who didn't, it, it, was, it, was, it was, yeah, you got on there, but you started going and it was fine. Don't permit fear to limit your engagement in life. Solomon writes this way, he says, Ship your grain across the sea. And after many days, you may receive a return. If you know anything about Solomon, Solomon, as the kingdom expanded, he had ships going all over the place. Sometimes they'd be gone for three years, bring back all kinds of things. Sometimes ships wouldn't come back. But he, he spread them out. Some of your translations say, cast the bread upon the waters. The idea of you get your wares, you make your bread, and then you ship it out and sell it in different venues. And, and there's no guarantees in there. Don't let fear do that. Some of us have, have seen that in the business world. Uh, someone, someone has a little fear, and it causes them to stop. They start going in, and, and they never can kind of regain rather than, than realizing that, yes, there needs to be an awareness, there, there needs to be all of that, but, but don't let it limit your engagement in life. Some of us have loved someone dearly and been crushed by them. Do you let that cause you never to love anybody again? Or maybe in somebody you're close relationship with, uh, externally it still looks pretty good. But internally, uh, fear limits your engagement. You'll never be that vulnerable. You'll never take that risk again. Solomon's saying, no, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. There's timing. Yes, it's not just to throw a switch. But if you ship your grain, your bread across the sea, after many days you'll receive a return. You will not receive a return if you keep it all to yourself. How you invest your life. Invest seven ventures. Yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. This is the idea of don't carry all your eggs in one basket. Diversify. We talk about doing that financially. Do you do that with just your whole life? Do you, do you, do you, do you invest in, do you give your time away, your abilities away, your resources away? Do you invest them in the lives of other people? Do you do, you do that? Because... When you do, yeah, some of it's never going to come back, but some of it is. But it's never going to come back if you don't invest it. If you never give your life away. What, you know, what, what's the thing? What goes around comes around. That concept, that's what Solomon is talking about here. 
Don't permit, permit fear to limit your engagement in life. I, th- I was, again, when I was talking to Reuben today, I was saying, don't let fear. Get up there and give it your best shot. Give your best shot. People are going to understand. It's going to take time if that's all going to recover to loosen up. You're going to have to go to physical therapy. Just, you're speaking as physical therapy this morning, and everyone gets to watch you. <laughs> Don't let that fear limit your engagement. Don't pull back. You still have lots to offer. He talks about farming, and he talks about an engaged life of faith. First little takeaway there is eyes wide open. Be realistic, not Pollyanna. Realistic. Not with a chip on your shoulder. Not with permanent skepticism, but eyes open. If the clouds are full of water, they will pour rain on the earth. Some of us saw that yesterday. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. In other words, We don't live in a perfect world where everything just falls into place nicely. We need to understand that there are dangers on the horizon. We need to just understand that. That shouldn't rock our faith. We live in a broken world. People are going to do bad things. We're sometimes going to do bad things. It's not an excuse for that, but but that's the way it works. Hard things happen. Nature things happen. It's, it's, it's just eyes wide open. Don't be surprised by that. Don't have it take away all your engagement of life and of faith in God. Yes, there may be some hiccups. Yes, you may need to say to God, hey, I don't get this. I really, really don't get this. You may have to yell at him. You may have to, all these kinds of things. His shoulders are broad enough. But understand that those kinds of things are going to happen. That's why this isn't called heaven. Heaven's the next chapter of life. In heaven, new heavens, new earth, those things won't happen. That won't be a part of our experience. But in the here and now, there they are. I love Proverbs 27. I love the different ways different translations say it. I love the way uh, the voice says this one. The astute see evil coming and take shelter. But the stupid plow right on and then, of course, have to pay the price. I don't think I have to say too much more of that. There's been times where I've seen the evil coming, and I have not taken shelter, and I had to pay the price. You could even right now, I bet you if we really got into your life, you really got into my life, you could, you could find some things where bad things are coming, and you're running right for it. Those actions are going to get you to that place. Don't do that. Oh, no, 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 it's not going to happen in my life this time. You know, you, know you, you, you get the idea. So you have to be watching. You have to be aware. Um, on the flip side of that, there's this idea of not being too cautious. We can be overcautious. Last week we talked about uh, analysis paralysis, this idea where we're just too cautious and we never can move forward. You're never going to have all the information. You're never going to have every detail so it's a perfect decision. There's going to be 10, 15, 20%, 30, wherever, that's, that's kind of just hanging out there, and uh, you know, one newspaper headline can change everything the next day. 
Don't be too cautious. He says it this way. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they'll never harvest. I'm not a farmer. You absolutely know that. I'm not even going to pretend to unpack what all that means. But you know what that means. Too cautious. Too cautious. But it's great if you're walking with God, walking under the sun with the risen sun through Christ, that spirit, that power is a part of our lives. And he helps us navigate through that. So we don't have to be too cautious. We need to be wise, need to see the danger, but not too cautious. The ultimate reliance is on God. And, and some of us have got to come to terms with that. Some of us have to revisit that. We think we've got that. Yeah, I ultimately rely on God, and all of a sudden something crazy happens in life, and that's blown out, and we have to kind of pick up the pieces and lay them at God's feet and say, I need to start over. I know what I'm supposed to hold on to. I know what's true about you, but I absolutely do not feel it. I don't feel a little bit of it. This isn't working out in my life. This isn't happening the way I want. I, I, I just, you're not reliable. And I've waited. I've done the right thing for a long time. And, and you're not reliable. See, we have to come to that point. And sometimes we ask, why does God even allow crazy things into our life? Why does he even, why does he even, it just seems like he sets us up to, for the bottom to drop out and for us to, to have this struggle and I love this little illustration from this little movie, and I think you'll get it when you see it. You mean you can't swim? How do you grow up not being able to swim? Why, my folks had me out there when I... Give me those. Hey, If it only was that easy. But I think there's some truth in that. Sometimes God pushes us into the water of a circumstance for us to learn how to swim. And we think that if we don't learn to swim in that moment, we're going to drown. And we have no idea that the foundation, the rock that we call Jesus Christ, is really just below the water line. And when we put our feet down, we're above the water. At least our nose is above the water. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. 
You cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. It's not a cop-out. It's not an excuse to say there are mysteries in life that you and I will not understand. God's God, we're not. Even in that next chapter of life when we see Jesus face to face, there are going to be things that are still beyond us. Because in our theology, which is in our understanding of who God is, we never become like God. He's still God. So, so there's going to be some things that are like, wow, you know, and we're just never going to get it. And that's okay. Sometimes that's reassuring. Sometimes it's reassuring to have somebody step into your life that knows all the inner workings of something and you don't have to you just have to trust that they can fix it. They can figure it out. Very familiar passage. I love the way Eugene Peterson, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everything that's happening. And sometimes it's his silence that is saying something to you. But listen for it. Be aware of it. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. He's there for us. The next thing that uh, we're told is to stick with it. Verse 6 says it this way. Go to work in the morning and stick to it until evening without watching the clock. You never know from moment to moment how your work will turn out in the end. You never know. So you stick with it. And it's just not your work. It's the things in your life. It's the things that God's doing in your life. You stick with it. Now, it doesn't mean you don't be stubborn. It doesn't mean you, 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 there are some things you do at times need to let go. But for the most part, you never realize, in a sense, what kinds of seeds you're planting in the garden of your life by sticking with it, and you're not ever totally confident what's going to come out. And if you're walking in alignment with God, the best you know how, we talked a little bit about that last week, you and I find that all of a sudden there's some surprises, and we didn't know how it would turn out. The unsure thing becomes the sure thing. The sure thing was unsure. It was a vapor. But stick with it. It's like, uh, you ever gone, I, I'm trying not to do this anymore. You go to the grocery store, you go to Walmart, and you know, like jump in aisles. Oh, that aisle looks shorter, that looks short, you know, and you, you move around, all of a sudden something goes wrong, you know, and, and you, you know, just, it's just, it's just get in your aisle and stick in your aisle and, you know, see what happens, because I, I can't, I can't figure that out. All of a sudden, someone didn't have the right change or something went wrong with it, and bing, bing, you know, and, you, and you, all of a sudden, the one that was so much longer, just shooting through. You, you got to stay in your lane, stick with it. Same thing at the toll booth. That's a whole other story. All right. Um, put your heart and soul into every activity you do as though you are doing it for the Lord himself and not merely others. And then not merely others could probably apply to ourselves, not merely for yourself either. So as you're doing things, as you're sticking with it, as you're following through, as you're not taking shortcuts. That doesn't mean you don't work smarter instead of harder. We talked about the sharp axe last week. 
but you do it for the Lord. Uh, there are times when there are things that seem very insignificant or seem like I shouldn't have to be a part of. You have those things in your life, maybe at work or wherever, and there's moments where uh, nobody's looking or whatever, and I go, Lord, I'm doing this for you. And I actually, in this instant, hope that no one knows that I did this because I just want it to be between you and me. And that's good enough because I saw, I know you saw it. And that's great because I'm giving it for you. I'm doing it for you. I'm not doing it because it puts things in a better place in my life so better things happen. I'm, I'm just doing it straight forward for you. Also, we see here, don't permit aging to limit your enjoyment of life. We're going to take a little bit greater look in that um, next week, but Ecclesiastes 7, 8 talks about this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Enjoy them all. And, you know, and I, I've, just, I've just started realizing this. I, I, I like this 4,000-footer club in, in the White Mountains, you know, uh, in uh, New Hampshire and all those places, and I used to do a lot of mountain climbing and stuff like that. And at first, I was really intrigued to watch everyone post their pictures because I've been to some of those places. And then there's been this other feeling where I don't actually like seeing their pictures because I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do it as well as they can. And I look at these guys in their 20s, and you know, it looks like it, it, it looks like they're just like running up these mountains. And I'm like, that, would, that might kill me if I tried to do that again. But I want to do it again. What a way to go. No, but, uh, but you know, as, as things change, as you do get older, as you do have different limitations, and you do have different things, don't let aging limit your enjoyment of life. And some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Wait until you hit 25, 25 30s, things start to change, 40 50, and that's as far, 53 is as far as I know, but uh, yeah, I say, you say, tell us about it, oh wise old Dave, yeah, right, but uh, you know, but enjoy them all, don't let the limitations cause you not to enjoy your life, I'll have to tell you another time about this picture, um, don't permit time to limit your effectiveness, the amount of time you have. This is code, if you're young, don't blow it. Don't waste it. And this is real personal. I may get in trouble. Mariah finished three for a four-year degree in three years. High school helped with that and all that kind of thing. But there was a time and there's a conversation that she was saying to us, well, you know, since I've got it done in three years, maybe I can, maybe I can skip a year and just kind of like do this gap year where I do nothing. You know, all, she was implying maybe she could just let that extra year just dissipate. And we're like, no, use that. Use that well. Yes, yes, you're getting your four year and three years. But don't go, wow, now I've got an extra year so I can just kind of waste it. Budget it. It's like some of us get an extra $20 in our wallet, now a $50 in our wallet, whatever it is, and we, we waste it. Don't let the volume of what you have cause you to be ineffective with your life. You are young. Make the most of your youth. Relish your youth for vigor. Follow the impulses of your heart. Listen to the rest of this. If someone, something looks good to you, pursue it. 
But know also that but no but know also that not just anything goes. You have to answer to God for every last bit of it. Life, live life footloose and fancy free. You won't be young forever. Youth lasts about as long as smoke, that whole idea of vapor. Use it well. And no matter how old you are, in theory, three years, four years, five years, things are no longer a part of your abilities or you don't have the energy or the drive to do it anymore. So no matter what age you're at, be the best you can be at your age. Be the best 80-year-old in the physical shape you're in that you can be at your age. Be the best. Use it well. Stop and do those things. Sometimes we're so in a rush to do things, we let things go, and we just kind of don't, we, we use it up, we waste. And that's not to make you feel guilty, but those memories, I'm, I'm happy that when I was younger, I did more backpacking, because I know those places. I could have easily not done that. Now when I look at those pictures, I wouldn't know. They, they have meaning to me, because I've been up those, some of those places. But if I hadn't done those things when I was younger, now there would be less meaning. So, so be who you are and push a little and use everything that's in your power to use. Came across an old saying, and I, I tweaked it a little bit, so I thought it made a little bit more modern sense. This is, we will have to give a reason for all that we've seen and did not enjoy. Be human. Enjoy life. Live the best human being experience you can with what God has put in your hands. Next week, we'll dive into this a little bit more with Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 3. I'm not going to read it right now. But I do, I do want to show you a video, um, and I want you to think about this. And uh, This is a little bit of a story of Mickey Mantle. Some of us don't know who that is. I really don't know who that is, but I saw it as I was thinking. I actually don't want to identify. It actually says, nice thing about the Yankees. Don't really like that. But, uh, but anyway, well, I, see, I, I suffer through with you who don't like some of the teams I like. But anyway, so, but, but listen to what he says about the way he lived his life. To appreciate Mickey Mantle's enduring mystique, it's important to understand the context of his career and the era he represents. Baseball was still unquestionably the national pastime. The Yankees were still the best and most glamorous team in all of sports. And Mickey Mantle seemed to embody the game's mythology. A big, blonde kid from Oklahoma, arriving in New York literally carrying a straw suitcase, about to replace Joe DiMaggio in center field for the mighty Bronx Bombers. Everything about him was classic. The look, the swing, the ring of the name itself. Such was his popularity that over the years, Mantle heard from hundreds of fans who said they had named their sons after him. The legend was enhanced by the perception that Mantle was star-crossed, heroic in the face of constant injuries. But there was more to the story than most of us knew, and Mantle acknowledges it wasn't just the injuries that shortened his career and kept him from realizing his full potential. Mickey Mantle is convinced he hurt himself. 
By the late 60s, the injuries, the alcohol, the lack of conditioning caught up with him. He had his last big year when he was just 33. He was finished at 36. Uh, I don't hit the ball when I need to. I can't steal second when I need to. I can't go from first to third or score from second on uh, base hits. And I just think it's time that I uh, quit trying. Despite three MVP awards and more than 500 home runs, Mantle left baseball haunted by the feeling he should have been better. I always had the sense that there was a sadness about you. I mean, we all have some regret, but I always felt that there was quite a bit of sadness about you. In retrospect, was that true? Yeah. I think that when I did drink a little too much or something, it kind of relieved the tension that I felt within myself, maybe, because I hadn't been a, what I should have been. Because you hadn't been the ball player you felt you should have been. Or the daddy. Did you ever say to yourself, wait a minute, I'm one of the best ball players of all time. I've made a significant amount of change doing this. I'm financially secure. People seem to love me. Why don't I feel better? Uh, maybe, maybe I do, in the back of my mind, feel like I've let everybody down some way or other. Uh, I know there is something, there is something in there that's not, that's not fulfilled or something. I don't know what it is, Bob. I, I, I can't explain it. So there have somebody that epitome baseball star hero and felt he didn't live his life to the fullest. He let his body go, he let alcohol, he wasn't, you know, all these kinds of things. He had all these regrets. He had everything. And he feels like, man, I, I could have gone a little farther. And then when he thinks about something inside is just missing. Now me as a Christ follower, I would say, it's because he doesn't have Jesus in there. He hasn't said yes to him. That uh, you can't live well under the sun without the risen sun. But that's not the end of the story. Uh, I will show you one little more clip. Um, this comes from his funeral service. And there's a, a man, you'll know the names if you're a baseball person. I, I don't know the names, but uh, these were big deal people. But look, just listen to, to what someone says at, at his service. Because he does pass away soon after those videos and then the next morning about six o'clock he called my room and Betsy answered the phone and he said Betsy is Bobby there I'd like for him to pray for me and we had a wonderful time on the telephone that morning praying and I remember that I used this verse of scripture I said Mickey there's a great verse in Philippians 4 it says delight yourself in the Lord find your joy in him at all times never forget his nearness and then it says, tell God in details your problems, your anxieties. And the promise is the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds as we rest in Christ Jesus. We talked two or three more times, and I went on back to South Carolina. And I received a call from Roy True, his friend and lawyer. And he said, Mickey's not doing very well, and the family would like for you to consider the possibility of coming out and being in the service. And I asked Merlin if it would be all right if I could come on out, and she said yes. Well, I came in on, I guess it was last Wednesday night. Friends picked me up at the airport, and I spent the night with them. It was late. 
And the next morning, I drove over to Bela Hospital. Whitey Ford was just walking out at the time, and Mickey had really perked up with Whitey's visit. And as I walked in and went over to his bed, he had that smile on his face. And he looked at me, and the first thing he said was, Bobby, I've been wanting to tell you something. I want you to know that I've received Christ as my Savior. Well, I cried a little bit, I'm sure, and we had prayer together. And then in a very simple way, I said, Mickey, I just want to make sure. And I went over God's plan of salvation with him, that God loved us and had a plan, a purpose for our life, and sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to shed his precious blood and promised in his word that if we would repent of our sins and receive the Lord Jesus, that we might not only have everlasting life, but the joy of letting him live his life in us. He said, that's what I've done. Everybody is redeemable. Everybody. Situations are redeemable. So as we think of anxiety versus anticipation, we have to ask ourselves, where is that walk with God? In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion. The grape juice represents Christ's shed blood. The bread represents his body given for us so that we can have new life in him, so that power we sang about. It starts off by admitting that uh, we've been out of step with God. We call that sin, and we need to be connected to God through Christ. We believe that Jesus died for us, rose again, and accept his forgiveness for our sins. It doesn't mean we stop sinning. But it means our sins are forgiven. Our sins don't separate us from God. It doesn't break the relationship with God that's been established for what Christ has done for us. And we choose to invite him into our life as the one we are going to follow. Not follow perfectly because none of us arrive, but we're going to follow him. We're going to be in that path, in that direction. A life of loving God and loving others. And then that emptiness can be changed. And then God can start redeeming our life no matter how young we are, how middle-aged we are, how old we are. I encourage you to think about that. We have a little pamphlet out of three places. Uh, uh, also, you can look at it online. It talks about knowing God personally. You can go there, check knowing God. You click down the bottom, and all the slides are there. Also, there's a little book. You can read it about an hour called How Good is Good Enough. Uh, pick one of those up if you're more interested. And again, those are all available in, th in three little locations. Uh, but coming back to this anxiety versus anticipation, you see, our bottom line is this. Confidence in God is not the absence of fear. It is the presence of Christ. And the presence of Christ, the more we're aware of it, the more we lean into it, the more we do that, the lessening of the grip of fear will have on our lives. Part of that process is this. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. And then that, the concepts in that verse can become the rhythm of our life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your love for us. We thank you for stories that touch our hearts. We thank you that uh, Mickey Mantle right now is in your presence, enjoying everything that heaven has to offer. 
along with others that we've known that have gone before him and gone before us. And we thank you for that, that reality. Lord, we would ask that you would give us strength, that you would help us to look at life and see what Solomon teaches us, that, that we don't have to be paralyzed by fear, anxiety. We can be aware of those things, but we can find that we can have anticipation that you will show up in our need and work through our need. And we hold on to that truth with everything we've got. And there's days where we have to. And there's days where it's minute by minute. But we thank you that when we can turn our eyes, turn our hearts to you, we can find that that really can be the rhythm of our life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time in our where we give our offerings, our tithes.